Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and we have ourselves a very intriguing episode today in front of us. We're going to briefly talk about the Sports Card National. I want to talk about a new record-breaking card that sold last night in a private sale. Patriots training camp, everything to do about the Patriots, and of course, if we have time, I do want to talk about the Red Sox as well. But quite frankly, in the grand scheme of things, I really don't. <laughs> I really don't, honestly. This team is abysmal. It's pissing me off. And I think at the deadline, they made some good moves, bringing in Hosmer. Tommy Pham's not a really good fit, but at least he's a, a MLB outfielder. But you trade away Christian Vasquez, so it's like you're buying and you're selling it just it did not make any sense to me but if we have time we will get into that but whew, it is a hot one out today and it will be it's going to be steamy so if you guys want to come on down to Murph's Cartown Sports Shop to stay nice and cool you're more than welcome to but yes hopefully you guys had a fantastic week hopefully you had a good weekend the uh, last weekend and with the weekend upcoming hopefully you guys have some cool fun plans in store as we are officially in technically the hottest month of the year being August. But with all that aside, let's do dive into today's first topic, and that is National Sports Collectors Convention takes Atlantic City by storm. That is the headline of an article by Johnny Campus from OnlineGaming.com. He published this on July 29th, so just a couple of days before the uh, the National actually ended. And I just want to briefly recap and just talk about the National because, again, some of the listeners here on Merv's Boston Sports Talk do flood into the sports card collecting hobby. So I kind of want to make sure that I do address a few topics in the card collecting area as much as I do talk about sports as well. So let's get into the article real quick because it's a very good read and I do have a couple things to say about it. Uh, as I write this month's column from my card store in Coleman, Alabama, the National Sports Collectors Convention is taking place in Atlantic City. Again, this article is from July 29th. 
The 42nd event is the biggest annual gathering of sports card enthusiasts and with the growth of the hobby in recent years, this event keeps growing. How big? About 350 dealers set up at this year's show taking place from July 27th to July 31st in 460,000 square feet of convention space. In addition, plenty of corporate entities are in attendance including manufacturers excuse me, such as Topps, Panini, grading companies like PSA and Beckett, distributors like GTS and Southern Hobby, and many more. Murph's Cartown Sports Shop was also there as well, walking the floor. Basically, anybody who is anybody in the card world comes to exhibit. I was there, yeah. <laughs> Plenty to see and do. Long, lies, long lines greeted convention attendees as things kicked off on Wednesday with a preview and Thursday with the first full day of activities. In addition to rows and rows of display cases filled with cards for sale, visitors can take part in box breaks, get promo cards, and snag signatures from one of dozens of autographed guests from the world of sports. While some attendees complained on sports cards forums about overpriced dealers, overfilled parking garages, and the general lack of deodorant, most expressed their excitement at the sheer number of cool collectibles to purchase or just view. I will admit, uh, not the deodorant part, <laughs> but the parking garage thing was an absolute atrocity of a mess unless you got there like an hour before the convention center at the show opened. And there were tons of overpriced cards. You go anywhere, any card show, there's going to be overpriced cards. A $100 card is all of a sudden a $300 card, etc., etc. Valuable sports cards at the National. The common refrain from the National is that you can't find it there. You can't find it anywhere. That may be truer this year than ever before. Golden Auctions came with a graded T206 Hannes Wagner and a 1997-98 Upper Deck Michael Jordan Patch Auto Card number to 23, and Heritage Auction showed off its 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle graded 9.5 by SGC. This is the finest known example of the classic card and is currently up for auction. With experts anticipating it will sell for more than $10 million, shattering the record for a single card. The bidding is already up over $6 million and will end on August 27th. And just to further update those numbers, the current auction for the Mickey Mantle is 7.25, I believe, or 7.235, something like that. It's over seven and a quarter. The auction will end on the 27th, but currently, currently, which is going to lead to my next article, Honus Wagner, T206 from 1909, SGC2 sold for $7.25 million, I believe last night or the night before. I'll get into that momentarily, but I do want to finish this article. If you're like me, you're dreaming of the national from afar. Hopefully, we will all be lucky enough to attend the 2023 NSCC in Chicago and that is the plan is to attend so what I why did I read that well I can't I've, I'm trying to find my words here I'm making the vlogs I'm making videos on the YouTube channel if you guys haven't checked it out go check it out Murph's Cartown Sports Shop on YouTube and if you haven't considered subscribing I would greatly appreciate that but I'm making all these videos about the national because I've mentioned it time and time again the national is the Super Bowl for sports cards it is the top of the line event for the sports card hobby for the sports card collector the sports card enthusiast it doesn't get any better than the national and going to my first national this past year 
All I'm going to say is all that is true, is beyond true. And it was an absolute blessing to be able to go. It was awesome. It was exciting. Was it overwhelming? Yeah, of course. But all those emotions and everything thrown into a bag, shaken up a bit, and carrying around all those emotions with me at the show was so priceless. It was so worth it. And it was immensely fun. It was so much fun. And I've, I'm going to say this in the, I think I said it in the part one vlog, that if you have the chance to go to a national, go to a national. It is incredible. I'm just going to leave it as that. And with the hobby essentially growing year by year by year, it seems like it's only going, the national is only going to get better. But the 43rd annual national in Chicago next year, it looks like it's only going to get better. And hopefully that is the case because if we can grow the sports card hobby to become better and better every year while maintaining its health every year, then this is going to be one of the greatest hobbies out there. Because you can point some fingers and say that the hobby is a little unhealthy with the overpriced cards from vendors or people trying to do some sketchy business online. And again, that's why I don't like online deals, whether I'm buying or selling online. You know, just sketchy people, unnecessary fees, wait time, you don't know what you get in the mail. It's just so many different things added up. And I've talked about this before and before. It's like, is all that really worth paying 10 extra dollars for something here in person where you can open it or walk away with it right here right now to some people ten dollars is 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 yeah it's i guess it's worth it to them but the shipping's like seven dollars five to seven dollars you have to pay taxes which i guess is unavoidable here at the shop too but then you gotta wait a week for it to come in you don't know what you're gonna get it could get damaged it could take forever to come in you just don't know so you get the peace of mind of getting something right here, right now, here at the shop. And that's why I do love uh, card shops, card shows, is because you don't have to wait. You don't have to play those kind of games. Yeah, you got to do a little bit more research maybe, but who doesn't do research when they're buying online or in person anyways? So that's just like a little tidbit that I want to talk about the National at the uh, Atlantic City Convention Center this past week and weekend, I guess. But let me do jump over to... The article I do want to talk about, and this came, this was published yesterday at 4.30. Rare T206 Hannes Wagner baseball cards sold for record $7.25 million in a private sale. This is an article from ESPN by Dan Hajducky. Hajducky? H-A-J-D-U-C-K-Y? That's Ducky. I know that. Hajducky? I don't know. Dan. <laughs> right? Okay, so... This uh, came to my attention from a uh, post in a Facebook group that I'm in. And previously, the record was held by the same card, literally, T206 Hannes Wagner, but SGC3, and I think that sold for $6.6 million. Now, the Mickey Mantle SGC 9.5 is projected to sell for nine, uh, ten, over $10 million, but it hasn't sold yet, so therefore it will not hold the record until the sale or the auction is completed. However, this T206 Hannes Wagner is a SGC 2, so one whole number grade below. And you could argue, hey Murph, why is a 2 selling for more than a 3? Well, let me tell you. This is before, you know, I haven't even read the article yet. I'm, I'm just going to tell you, you know, my thoughts on it. Is A, the 3 sold last year for $6.6 .6 million. And between last year and now, you have inflation. 
you have the sports card hobby growing even more and supply and demand of this card is very thin very very thin i believe there's known 47 of these cards in the world in existence i believe because for those that don't know Hannes wagner the t206 card let me start further back were cards that were randomly inserted into cigarette boxes back between 1909 and 1911 to help promote the sale of cigarettes so if you bought a carton of cigarettes or a box of cigarettes you would get a baseball card and Hannes wagner didn't want to be associated with cigarettes so he asked to be removed from the print run and you know he was uh i forget the company what is it it's, uh trying to see if it says here on the oh god the corals oh god, i'm not gonna get it right t206 i just want the back of the card what does the back of the card look like oh here we go uh what's it called what's it called what's it called sweet carporal cigarettes that was the company back in the day and they removed them and again i mean over time things just get destroyed thrown away ruined lost forever who knows and i believe there's a projected only 47 of these left in existence. it could be even lower now who knows but let's get into the article collectibles marketplace golden announced on thursday that a t206 Hannes wagner has sold in a private sale for 7.25 million dollars a record amount for a sports card the figure eclipsed the 6.606 million dollar fetched for another t206 wagner almost a year ago to the day the version of the wagner that sold recently was graded a 2 out of 10 by sports card guarantee corporation or sgc the 2021 record breaker received a three from sgc quote there is nothing on earth like a t206 card said ken golden executive chairman and founder of golden in a statement quote there's a reason why no wagner card has sold for less than it previously was purchased for the card is art it's history it's folklore end quote the folklore of the card hinges on its uber rarity somewhere between 50 and 60 copies exist i think that number is lower and multiple theories on why so few wagners exist including wagner's printing plate breaking during production a copyright dispute between artists and tobacco company the most popular theory offered up by wagner's family and new york's metropolitan museum of art is that wagner didn't want to promote smoking tobacco to children and asked the card to be pulled from production that's not a that's not a myth or a theory that's fact do a little research my guy the most logical theory is wagner realized he wouldn't be compensated fairly for his name image and likeness and objected wow look at that the nil is a thing from over a hundred and what 15 nope 110 years ago wow college athletes now just getting paid and wagner wasn't getting paid being a professional athlete whatever no matter what the reason so few copies have made to 2022 that the Wagner is routinely called the Holy Grail or Mona Lisa of trading cards. Quote, the T206 is one of the reasons I do what I do, Golden concluded. While the sale is currently the overall record, there is a 1952 Mickey Mantle card consigned to Heritage Auction that closes just over three weeks. It is sitting at $7.08 million. Like I said last time I checked, 7.25, whatever the hell number is, 7.3. 7.235 with buyer's premium and is expected to near or eclipse 10 million dollars at close so like i said when that auction does close that will be the new record but yes yeah, so this Hannes wagner card 
For a lot of people that don't know Hannes Wagner, he is one of, or was, well, you could probably still say one of the best baseball players of all time. He really was. I'm just going to pull up some stats real quick. He had 3,420 hits, 101 home runs, not known for his home run guys. He had a career 328 batting average. He had 1,732 RBIs. 723 stolen bases, on base percentage of 391, slugging 467, on base plus slugging 858. He had a war of 130.8. Now, again, guys, yes, this is in the 1800s and the 1900s. I do understand that. But I mean, and yeah, you could look at, you know, all these arguments, you know, Jordan playing against quote-unquote plumbers, Bill Russell playing against, you know, all these short guys or whatever, Hannes Wagner playing against pitchers that can't throw more than 80 miles an hour. I understand that, and I fully am aware of those arguments during a conversation like this. But you can't fault the guy for, you know, playing against who was in front of him, right? I and mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He won the 1909 World Series, so he's a champion. He's an eight-time batting title champion as well. His highest average in, a, in his career was 381 in 1900. Like, goddamn. That is, I'm trying to see, there's 350, 354, 355. I mean, the dude played from 23 to 43. He played 21 seasons. I mean, it's pretty, pretty good. He won the MVP. He didn't win the MVP. He came in second place in 1912, uh, third place in 1911, and 1913 he finished eighth in MVP voting. So, I mean, the guy, like I said, arguably one of the best uh, shortstops of all time. But I know he also played elsewhere as well. I'm trying to see if I can get his fielding. So I'm a little curious because I know in Diamond Dynasty, <laughs> they have him as a center fielder which is a little odd. Okay, let's see. Here we go. Um, okay, can I get like a different fielding? Do, do, do. Oh, here, is this it? No, that's not it. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Appearances. Okay, so yeah, he was a shortstop for the majority of his career. He played center field his rookie year a little bit. He played right field a little bit early on, and then they moved him to shortstop where he played predominantly for the rest of his career with a few appearances at first base. I mean, the guy's a stud. And a card that's over 100 years old with, again, scarce number and quantity, it bodes to be number one and number two in the highest sold card of all time, at least for the time being, right? Uh, I would love, love, love to hold a T206 Hannes Wagner in hand someday. I've seen the three in person. I've seen a PSA 1.5 in person. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Did I see the three in person? I'm trying to think. Was the three at the Shriner Show in Boston? I think it was. I could be mistaken. Maybe that could have been a fake. Who knows? But love, love, love to hold a real one. That would be, I don't care what the grade is. That would be fantastic. But let's jump over to Patriots football Patriots training camp. Uh, let's look at a position-by-position position recap of the first two weeks of Patriots training camp. This is an article by Evan Lazar. He published this this morning at 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Dude's grinding. All right, the article goes into saying, the first three fully padded practice at tra Patriots training camp followed a similar script. 
with quarterback Mac Jones and the offense experiencing growing pains in a tweaked system, New England's defense has had the upper hand, especially on the line of scrimmage. In particular, the Pats' offense is struggling to execute the newer aspects of their playbook. Although it remains to be seen how prominent the zone-based concepts will be this season, the Patriots' offense started camp by installing zone-blocking schemes, which is a departure from their gap-heavy rushing attack. Quote, It just happened to work out that way we put in zone runs first, but we put in plenty of gap plays and we'll run those too, Patriots head coach Bill Belichick said on Wednesday. Quote, When you're putting in one play, you emphasize and run that, and then you go to something else. End quote. For as long as Belichick's been the head coach, the Patriots are a game plan team on both sides of the ball, meaning they'll call whatever the coaches feel gives them the best chance to succeed against a particular opponent. To the head coach's point, the Patriots will feature gap runs in certain matchups this season and won't be all zone-based. Still, if the zone-blocking concepts are becoming a feature aspect of their offense, the execution of those schemes need to improve over the coming weeks to continue down this path particularly along the offensive line. The flip side of the offensive struggles is that the Patriots' defense has applied consistent pressure at the line of scrimmage and is challenging receivers down the field. At this early juncture, it remains to be seen if the defense has taken a step forward or if its success is a product of the offense's early struggles. But the Patriots do look faster and harder to block up front. After taking in all eight practices, including three days in full pads, here is a position-by-position position recap of what has stood out so far at Patriots training camp. And before I do jump into this, I do kind of want to touch upon, is the defense looking good or is the offense just bad? Now, we could sit here and say the Patriots traded one of the best guards in the league, Shaq Mason, away. Patriots could say that they uh, didn't do anything to improve the offensive line. I mean, yeah, they drafted Cole Strange. That's great. You could also say the Patriots didn't really improve at wide receiver. But they brought in Devontae Parker. And as I adjust real quick, I've said this before. Guys, I'm going to say it again. When healthy, Devontae Parker has been very good. And I will leave it at that, very good. But here in New England, he's going to be our number one wide receiver. But is he truly a wide receiver? Maybe for some teams, like let's say the Jaguars. But he's not a he's not a legitimate one, number one. He's not a top 10, not a top 15 receiver in the league. But being here in New England, it allows him to be the number one. And it allows Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne to slide into the twos and three respectively. So, where, where am I going with this? Oh, yeah. So, that allows the Patriots defense to capitalize on the Patriot on the offenses. I'm trying to talk about the same team, but two different components of that team. It allows the Patriots defense to capitalize and take advantage of the lackluster weapons on the Patriots offense. They brought in Hunter Henry, they brought in John o. Smith, Kendrick Bourne, and Hunter Henry and you know Kendrick Bourne had some pretty good seasons last year. But we know who they are. They're not Travis Kelsey, they're not a George Kittle, they're not a DeAndre Hopkins, they're not a, um, who's another receiver? Uh, why can't I think of another top receiver? They're not a Jamar Chase, and John o. Smith was a huge disappointment last year. So, if you can band together some hard-nosed defensive guys who's out there looking to prove something, I feel like they, yeah, they're going to have the upper hand, especially early on when the defense 
where it takes a little bit less time for the defense to mold and gel and get on the same page, whereas the offense needs to have precision execution. So it's going to take a little bit more time for them to get on that same page. So this is broken down by position, literally quarterback, running back, tight ends, receivers, all the good stuff, both offense and defense. So buckle in. I want to try to read everything. I'll react here and there to it, but I want to make sure I get you guys the information. Let's starting off with the quarterbacks. When practice begins every morning behind Gillette Stadium, the hope is that we'll see some the type of consistency and rhythm from Mac Jones that we saw in his rookie season. Unfortunately, Jones looks out of sync and sometimes uncomfortable with what's happening around him. In passing situations with the field spread, Jones looks more like his usual self, and the glimpses we've seen of Mac's deep throws shows signs of improvement. But the ball isn't coming out of his hands as quickly or decisively as in the past. Rookie quarterback Bailey Zappi's actually hasn't always been consistent, but the fourth-round pick appears to have enough zip on the ball and has thrown with decent timing. Zappi has gone a lot of work within the first two weeks due to Brian Hoyer's absence. Speaking of Hoyer, the veteran backup missed five practices reportedly due to an illness. Regardless, the Pats are giving most of the reps to Jones and Zappi. Uh, obviously, Brian Hoyer is not here to... Um, compete for the starting job, nor so much the backup job. I mean, that's pretty much secure for him. Bailey Zappi's there, you know, just in case, you know, have some, you know, a little bit more protection at the quarterback position. Jones is clearly the guy, but it's definitely interesting to hear that, you know, he looks out of sync. I'm hearing a lot of good things from other reporters that, you know, Jones looks good. He looks on page with uh, Devontae Parker, with uh, Tyquan Thornton. And so it's a little puzzling, but, hey, it's still early. There's still a lot of time to wrinkle things out. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's Radio, B-E-E-T-S, dot com, code DEAL. Running back, Damian Harris and Ramondre Steven look poised to lead New England's rushing attack this season. Both players are fresh and ready to go, have flashed as receivers in camp, and Stevenson has slimmed down some in the offseason. Don't expect either to dominate the carries. One of the early standouts from Pat's camp is offensive weapon Ty Montgomery. We list Montgomery with the back since his most likely role is a receiving back, but we have also seen the work at wide receiver. Montgomery's burst as a ball carrier is better than anticipated, which could also lead to a role as a kick returner. At this stage, Montgomery is not just on the team. He will be incorporated into the offense and special teams. Rookie running back Kevin Harris's lower body build catches the eye immediately. The guy is built like a Mack truck. He has gotten consistent work with the second unit, but his skill set won't truly shine until preseason games begin when he can show off his power as a runner. Fellow rookie running back Pierre Strong began 
participating in team drills on Tuesday, so there's not much to glean on, uh, not much to glean from his camp. Again, this is all from Evan Lazar here, Patriots.com. Everything I'm saying, I'm just trying to, you know, give you guys the information to fully understand what's been happening at Pat's training camp over the past two weeks. Wide receiver, newcomer Devontae Parker has given the Patriots what we all anticipated, a big target on the outside who can win jump balls and factor in the red zone offense. His chemistry with Jones on back shoulder and in contested situation is already there. Jacoby Myers continues to be Mr. Reliable on short and intermediate routes. He gets to the right places and catches the ball. As we know, there is something to be said for his consistency. It has been quiet. It's been a quiet camp for wide receiver Kendrick Bourne, who's flashed some in non-padded practice in the first week, but hasn't done much in fully padded sessions. The feeling here is that Bourne will emerge on game day, regardless where he is, where his energy truly takes over. We've seen some signs that Nelson Aguilar and Jones might connect more effectively on deep throws in Aguilar's first season with the Pats. Speaking of speed, there's a lot to like about Tyquan Thorne. He can challenge defenses deep, tracks and adjusts to the ball well, and is quicker through his breaks than expected on non-vertical patterns. Thorne could make an impact sooner than expected. Trey Nixon and Christian Wilkerson are in a battle to prove they're worthy of a roster spot, exchanging notable moments in Wednesday's practice, Wilkerson made a catch over Sean Wade, the play of the day. On Thursday, Nixon had two catches during team drills that showed off his burst as a route runner. They both have a chance to make the roster. Tight end. Hunter Henry is Hunter Henry. He will make plays on third down and a big-time big factor in the red zone again this season. We are still waiting to see if the Patriots unveil more scheme touches for Jonu Smith maybe in a hybrid H-back role so that he can use his standout trade as a productive ball carrier. Devin Asiasi's improved routes, especially his ability to disguise the breakpoint, have stood out to teammates. Belichick also had nice things to say about him this week. So the offensive skill players, it is what we expected, honestly. I mean, not everything's going to be perfect. There's a bunch of question marks as well. I mean, you don't have that guy. You don't have that guy at quarterback. You don't have that guy at wide receiver, tight end, or running back. You have a bunch of guys. And hopefully, what we're all hoping for is that these guys can turn into a nice, well-oiled machine and really gel through the season, especially early in the season when a lot of teams are going to be trying to figure things out. But if the Patriots can kind of hammer that home, which I'm not going to get too excited over because I don't think they will, I think it'll put the Patriots in a much better position moving forward. Offensive line. The biggest question after two weeks for the offensive line is, will there be any scheme-related casualties? Some of the bigger power blockers, such as Michael Owenu, could lose out to more athletic options if the zone concepts are here to stay. Two athletic linemen who stood out are offensive tackle Justin Heron and guard Arlington Hambright. Heron looks like a really solid swing tackle with starter potential. Hambright might be more of a Ted Karras replacement as an interior swing player but his athleticism does shine in zone schemes and has gotten more opportunities than expected. Cole Strange has taken a lot of coaching and is improving with a good rep against Christian Barmore in one-on-ones and a successful two-on-two period where they were uh, repping zone blocks on Thursday. Cole Strange looking good against Christian Barmore. This is me talking now, not the article. Against Christian Barmore, that's fantastic because we've heard nothing but excellent news and reports coming out of camp about Christian Barmore being that guy on the defensive line. 
Uh, going back to the article now, Isaiah Wynn doesn't look out of place at right tackle. We've been impressed with his transition so far. Patriots moving Isaiah Wynn from left tackle to right tackle. Now for the defense side of the ball. David Godshaw has looked terrific since signing the deal. He wrecked an 11-on-11 period on Thursday, shooting the right side A-gap into the backfield for a tackle for a loss. Godshaw has been unblockable at times in the run game. As we wrote about this week, Christian Barmore is having a great camp. I just mentioned that. And is an absolute game wrecker at times, especially as a pass rusher. He is... Uh, his one-on-one -on -one pass rush moves are by far the best on the team. His rise to potential pro bowler would be a huge deal for this defense. Lawrence Guy and Henry Anderson have rounded out the base defensive package in early down run situation as defensive ends with Godshaw in the middle of the line. Two potential sleepers to make the roster are LeBrian Ray and Jeremiah Farms. Ray is explosive and could contribute on passing downs. Farms is a wide body who can play the run as a two-gapper on the interior and has some burst of burst out of his stance. Inside and outside linebacker. And guys, just bear with me here. We have linebacker, cornerback, safety, and then special teams left to go. Again, I want to make sure I deliver you as much information about the Patriots as possible. With the, the new season now technically officially underway with training camp and preseason, on the, on the near horizon. So I just want to make sure I give you all this information about training camp so when we talk about the Patriots again next week, we can kind of have a, a foundation of information to go off of. So inside, outside linebacker. Raekwon McMillan and Mac Wilson are bringing more speed to the second level of the pass defense. McMillan reads the run very well off the ball, while Wilson is an explosive blitzer and can play in coverage. Jawan Bentley might transition to more reps on the line of scrimmage with the emergence of McMillan at inside a linebacker. That could keep Bentley out of space. Since the questions are coming, there isn't much to point out about Cam McGrone. That's not saying he's doing anything wrong per se. With Matt Judon picking up where he left off from his Pro Bowl season, the battle for the edge defender spot opposite of him, this, um, wait, on what? Uh, the battle for the edge defender spot opposite of him is on this summer. Okay. We could see the Pats mix mix and match with Anthony Jennings factoring in on early downs while Josh Uche continues as a designated pass rusher. Cornerback. As we also wrote last week, Jalen Mills has already solidified him, himself as New England's top cornerback and has held down his assignment very well. Although he hasn't faced another opponent yet, Mills has looked the part against the Pats wideouts. Veterans Terrace Mitchell, I hate that guy so much. Terrace Mitchell and Malcolm Butler have had each gotten their chances opposite of Mills in the first two weeks. Mitchell has been more steady, but Butler has come on as of late. This remains an open competition between the vets. Now, I hate Terrace Mitchell because Pat's had him as a safety a couple seasons ago. I believe it might have been. Uh, this is the one example I can think of, but there's several others where it's like, oh my God, how, why, you know, stuff like that. But I do believe the blaring example that I am thinking of is against the Titans in that 2019 wildcard game, uh, Tom Brady's last game as a Patriot. And it was a pass, I believe, in the end zone, and Terrace Mitchell was just blatantly out of place. So it was blatantly out of place, and it was just terrible, and it put the Titans in a better position to eventually go on and win that game. So. You know, that moment clearly solidifies me as hating him, uh, not just because Tom Brady's departure, but just because he sucks, and I just hope he's not our starting cornerback. But anyways, 
you know, he could grow on me. He could give me a change of heart. Who knows? Who knows? Dating back to the spring, rookie Jack Jones' coverage skills have translated to the NFL level. There are details to work out about his game, including absorbing New England's different calls and checks, so expect the Pats to remain patient with his development. Fellow rookie Marcus Jones is doing exactly what we all expected, playing primarily in the slot and returning punts. Jones has been competitive in coverage, and there's a good chance he's the punt returner on day one. He will have a role in his first season, but the slot still belongs to Jonathan Jones. Safety. The Patriots have great safety depth, and the group's talent is showing out at camp. Second-year defensive back Joshua Bledsoe has emerged as a potential contributor playing near the line of scrimmage and deep safety. Bledsoe has looked like a regular out there. Kyle Duggar's pick six of Mac Jones to end last Saturday's practice is hopefully a sign of things to come from the third-year pro. Duggar was left uh, left free to roam on the play and stepped in front of Devontae Parker to take it to the house. Duggar looks great when his eyes are on the ball. Special teams. Undrafted rookie Brendan Schooler has a shot at making the team as a core special teamer. He receives tips from Matthew Slater, Justin Bethel, and Cody Davis at every practice and is on s- several special teams units. whoop de doo <laughs> Woo! But anyways, that is everything that Evan Lazar has to talk about from the Patriots training camp over the past, the first two weeks of training camp, I should say. And my initial thoughts is I expect this is what I where I expect the team to be is to be kind of muddling in the middle of the pack per se, right? No one's crazy standing out, no one's crazy emerging, but the Patriots don't have a million and one flaws. They just have traditional flaws that every team will have. And I do think the Patriots maybe not this year, maybe years to come, are poised to make some kind of relevant noise. I just don't see it from this group yet. I think there's a lot of progression and a lot of learning that this team needs to take, whether it's from uh, young rookies this year, the rookies from last year, just the new players added, or the whole team in general. I really think that this Pats team does have a long way to go, but I kind of had the feeling that they're slightly ever so slightly a little further on than I thought. I really thought that this team was going to be a seven-win team, let's say, but I again, slight improvement. I can see them being a nine-win team, and honestly, I'm not going to sit here and get all whoop-de-doo and rosy about that because that's absolutely disgraceful. Again, this area, this region, Boston, New England, we have championship aspirations that is the bar anything below is failure and again last year rookie quarterback low expectations now that mac jones is in year two those expectations are back and last week we already went over you know you know ranking the afc teams and the patriots are not near where they should be if they want to make some serious noise in at least the afc again i could care less about the the uh the nfc right now so I guess we have some time on our hands, and we will talk about the Patriots, like uh, the Red Sox, excuse me, I guess. And the only thing that I want to talk about the Red Sox is what the hell were they doing at the trade deadline? You brought in Eric Hosmer. Great. You brought in Tony Pham. I don't really care for him, but you brought in an NLB outfielder to play left field, right field, whatever. So you don't have a Royo, so you don't have uh, Jalen Davis, so you don't have Franchi Cordero out there. Rob Refschneider, you know, just underperforming guys. Not that Tony Pham's an all-star, but at least he's a veteran. He's got a little grit to him. 
but you you trade Christian Vasquez though, that's so puzzling and confusing. If the Red Sox made those moves, Hosmer, Fam, and kept Christian Vasquez, now we can sit here and have a conversation where okay, we did what we wanted them to do, and that was to buy into this year's team. We've had our struggles at the beginning, and as of late, the middle of the season was very good. But we are buying into this team. We brought in another outfielder. We brought in a legitimate MLB first baseman. And you don't trade Christian Vasquez. It's like, okay, we can buy into this team now. Or relatively buy into the team. But you sold, the first move you made was to trade Christian Vasquez away. So obviously that's a selling move. Trading away your starting catcher was a selling move. And then you bring in Hosmer and Tony Pham. It's like, what are we, what are we doing? It's just so puzzling and confusing and irritating because I just feel like the Red Sox are just walking in place. They're just doing nothing. Again, if they kept Vasquez and made those moves, okay, let you know, we got a little juice here. New guys, we're believing in this team, or at least management is believing in this team. But the very first move you made was to sell Christian Vasquez to the Houston Astros who beat you last year in the American League Championship Series. Who... In a perfect world, you would uh, you may face in the playoffs. It's just it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't make sense, and I'm very, very frustrated with the Red Sox as of late. No Bogarts extension, no Devers except uh, extension. You traded away your homegrown starting catcher, who has developed into a fairly fan favorite. He's not like a Betts or like a, a Devers or anything like that, but he become a fan favorite I would say I, it's just so so puzzling and so confusing I don't know what to think of this team it's so hard to tune in to watch these games it really is because they're 500 at best they can't even I mean they just lost to the Royals last night what seven to three uh what was this? I don't even know what the score was do I even want to know what the score was I don't really think I'd want to know can I find the score? Uh, yeah, it was seven to three or seven to four, whatever the hell it was. And the Royals sold Andrew Benintendi to the Yankees, so the the Kansas City Royals were sellers at the deadline, packing it in for next year. Whereas the Red Sox bought and sold, they can't even beat them. The schedule is not going to get any easier for the Red Sox. It's not. I mean, we already looked at. I mean, this was weeks ago. We already looked at. The importance of uh, July for the Red Sox and how crucial it was, boy, did they fail. You got the Royals for four, but then starting on Tuesday the 9th, you got the Braves. You have one game with the Orioles, a makeup game, who are a fairly good team this year. Even though they were sellers at the deadline, they've been playing very well this year. Yankees, cool. You got the Pirates. I mean, that should be a cakewalk. Then you got another series against the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Twins. It's just... It's not going to get very much easier. Again, I guess you could say the Pirates should be an easy uh, easy series. But so shouldn't the Kansas City Royals, and you can't even beat them. I, I, it's They're 4-6 and six in the last 10. They are 53-54. and 54. Again, look at the Orioles. The Baltimore Orioles are 54-51, and 51 and they were sellers at the deadline. They packed it in. They are two games above you. They're currently 7-3 and three in the last 10. And yes, they were sellers at the deadline. It's just, I want to believe in this team so bad. I really do. And if they didn't sell, if they didn't trade Christian Vasquez, 
I could sit here and confidently say that the man, at management, the organization, and the team believes in the Boston Red Sox for 2022. Doesn't look bright. Not going to say they're going to win the World Series this year, but at least you're putting some chips into the middle of the table and saying, hey, the division may be out of place, uh, out of sight, but we can snag one of these wild card spots because we're not too, fu- too far behind there, and we can kind of do this. We still have one of the best, if not the best, shortstop in the American League, one of the best third basemen in all of baseball, uh, J.D. Martinez, who can still hit pretty well, right? You got, Christian, I guess at the time, Christian Vasquez, and Trevor Story will be coming back soon. So like, your lineup is fairly good. Verdugo even. J- uh, Jaron Duran's been struggling, but at least he gives you some speed out there on the bases. Plus, you just brought in Tommy Pham. You just massively upgraded first base and Eric Hosmer. <sighs> Frustration. That's where the Red Sox have left me, is frustrated. And I know I'm not the only one that thinks like this. There's tons of other Red Sox fans that think like this. And it's it's so emotionally devastating. Because we went through this in 2020. But we knew that 2020 was kind of a a fake year, a reset kind of a year. They were back in it in 2021. They made it two games shy of the World Series. Okay, we brought in Trevor Story. We brought in James Paxton. We're going to be good. We're going to be healthy when Paxton and Sale come back. We can do this. We can make it to the World Series. This is our year, right? The Twins aren't supposed to be good. The Guardians weren't supposed to be good. Um, Yeah, you had the Astros' competition, but the Mariners could have went on a Cinderella story. How good are they going to be? Yankees, no one expected the Yankees to be this good. You beat the Yankees, you beat the Rays all last year in the playoffs. We can do this. That's our outlook going into 2022. Then you started piss poor, you caught insane fire, and became one of the best teams in all of baseball for a good stretch. And now you're at the near bottom of the barrel. It's, I know you play in the toughest division in baseball, and the American League East is the toughest division in baseball. I think we can all say that, right? But, wow. This team has left me virtually speechless. And, hey, things could change between now and next episode. Things could not change. Things could change between now and September. Maybe they're back in it. They go 20 and 5 or something in the next 25 games. I don't know. I really don't know. I, like I said, I want to believe in this team. I do. But they make it so damn difficult. And for the time being, I can't believe in this team. I can't. You're seven games behind the Toronto Blue Jays. Seven. That's for the number one wildcard spot. Hold on, let me pull up the full wildcard standing. Let me pull up the full wildcard standing just to give you guys something to munch on as we uh, wrap up this episode. You are four games out of... Tampa Bay for the final wildcard spot in the American League. You have to jump the White Sox, the Guardians, and the Orioles. And then obviously the Tampa Bay Rays. The Seattle Mariners are half a game above the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Blue Jays are three games above the Rays. So it's not impossible. It's not. Again, if you kept Vasquez, I'd feel a lot better. But it's not impossible. But this team, this organization makes it so damn hard to believe in it and again you got to jump the white Sox, guardians orioles 
And of course, the Tampa Bay Rays, who hold down that third wild card spot. I, I'm gonna end this episode with a lot of confusion, and a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of de- depression, and a lot of frustration from this Red Sox team. I think our other conversations in today's episode were excellent. Talking about the National, talking about the T206 Hannes Wagner that broke the record. Again, that'll be its own separate video here on YouTube if that's where you're listening to Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Patriots was a good, fun little conversation. Kind of neutral emotions there, but talking about the Red Sox is just absolutely horrific. But guys, thank you so much for listening to episode number 153 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk as I greatly appreciate your love and support. If you're listening on audio-only platforms like Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find Murph's Boston Sports Talk. So thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much for clicking on the video. Please make sure you smash the thumbs up button. Comment anything down below in the comment section. And please consider that giant red subscribe button as I would greatly appreciate the love and support. You can find me on social media at Murph's Cartown on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook as well. But that's going to do it for this one. I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And I will always, always See ya.